0: Well, good morning everyone. Um, As you'll have noticed from if you were looking at uh, the pictures of people, there are some people down in the church building. That's because we're having a a dry run, if you like, this week and next week, just to test everything out um, with a view to being able to open up to having people attend services, if they wish, on the 1st of November. it had been my intention to be down there too, just to try it out, but uh, yeah, things happen, so I'm, I'm still at home today. But welcome to everybody, wherever you are, and uh, it's great that you're joining with us uh, today. Um, yes, as you can see, if uh, anybody would welcome prayer after the service, then the number to contact is, is Nigel. Uh, call or text him on the number that's on the screen there. Zero seven seven zero zero seven 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 zero seven zero four nine eight seven, and then um as as you, you you're probably aware we uh, you'll be put into a, a breakout room with a member of the prayer team um so that's for the the end of the service um in terms of notices um i think most of the head people will already have heard but uh, i do have to say that uh, our lovely friend Grace um, passed away on Friday and uh, those of us who, who knew and loved Grace will be very sad that she's no longer with us, but um, grateful to God that we know where she is. Uh, Grace knew where she was going and grateful that um, it, she passed away peacefully with with Jenny holding her hand, which is uh, is lovely. Um, so I would ask you to remember in your prayers Jenny and Bill, and uh, Chris and Phil, and the the family, Grace's grandchildren, great grandchildren, and um, yes, we we will miss her, a lovely lady. But I also have some good news, and that's that uh, on Thursday Darcy Rose was uh, was born. Um, that's uh, Tony and Bal's. Granddaughter's Chloe's little girl, uh, making Tony and uh, Val great grandparents now. So congratulations to to Chloe and Sean and to the rest of the family. Darcy Rose, who was born weighing seven pounds, seven ounces, uh, for those of you who like to know these things. Um, So that's something to to give thanks for. We know that um, Yeah, things are are difficult at the moment. Obviously they have been for months and months. Um, I was just thinking of, uh, of Job and how difficult things have been for him. And in the midst of everything that he was going through, he was able to say, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed and yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And, uh, yeah, in our sadness, it's, it's lovely to know that Grace is with her Redeemer. She's seeing her Redeemer now. And um, he is still God. Um, in our sadness, in, no matter what's going on, he is God. And there are always things to praise him for. Um, we've heard today of, of new life and there's so many more things that we can praise him for and remember that he is our redeemer. And so we're, we're going to, to sing a few songs now in, in praise to our precious redeemer. Thank you. Lord, Lord, we thank you that you are our saviour and our redeemer. We thank you that there is no one like you. And that your right hand enfolds us and keeps us, protects us. We thank you for that. And perhaps one or two people, as you feel led, um, would like to unmute uh, themselves and and speak out words of praise to our redeemer, our saviour.
1: Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the house of the wicked. For the Lord is my shield and sun. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk in blamelessness. The Lord God Almighty, blessed is the servant who puts his trust in you. Amen. As we come into your presence this morning, we recognize that we stand on holy ground. Mm -hmm. Because you, our God, are holy Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and worthy of our praise. And as we share in communion as part of this service, we recognize the cost of our salvation.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That you, Lord Jesus, gave up the glory of heaven Mm -hmm. to walk this earth as a sinless, spotless lamb. Yes, and yet you. died the death of a criminal. Yes. So as we come into your presence, we gladly bow the knee before you and worship you, our King of kings yes. and Lord of Lords. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign Lord. That Lord, there is nothing about this current crisis which has caught you by surprise or is is outside of your sovereign rule and uh, control of the world. And although, Lord, we don't understand everything that's happening, we thank you that we can worship and praise you this morning, Jesus, because you are Lord of all. You created everything and you sustain it, and you will come again to redeem and renew the heavens and the earth. So we thank you, Jesus, that we can indeed Say, Jesus is Lord, Amen. creation's voice Amen. proclaims it this yep. morning, because you are sovereign. Yep. We worship you and we bow the knee. Yep. Amen. Amen.
0: We thank you, our Redeemer, our Rock, our Saviour, our shepherd, our Lord, and our God. Amen. Um, over the, the last weeks, we've uh, been hearing testimony from, from those who are, um, well, we're all on a front line somewhere, but um, we've been hearing testimony from people um, in on their front lines. And uh, today we're going to hear from from Carol Cousins.
3: morning. Um, as you may know, I'm a nurse and I work at a local hospice um, and I've been there for many, many years. Although now I'm not clinical anymore, I actually work in the education department. So we go out and give end of life care training to various areas of the community, so care homes, district nurses, GPs and home carers as well, community nurses and home carers. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about what's been going on in those different areas. And it was quite strange at the beginning of the COVID crisis, because I'm non-clinical, my first reaction was, I want to be seconded. We could have been seconded into, back to clinical to do my nursing, So I'm still a registered nurse. My first reaction was, I want to be there, and I want to be at the front line, and I want to be helping. And one of my friends, who's not a healthcare professional, said to me, what's wrong with you people that work in healthcare? You want to run towards this thing when everyone else wants to run away from it. So there's definitely that, I think, in someone who's been a, a clinical person, you want to be there helping. Um, so I'm based in the hospice building. So this is, is the hospice. Um, and we actually have a ward on the hospice, which takes inpatients. And at the time of when the COVID crisis began, um, we had a lot of patients that were, had COVID symptoms. But at the time, we weren't getting any test kits. We were getting, no because we're not in the NHS, we weren't getting any um, supplies of PPE. So it was a really difficult time for the, the nurses and the carers on the ward, and the doctors and the social workers. Um, because we were nursing people and they actually the nurses got exposed to a lot of um, COVID at the time and some of them got quite ill at that time, because before it was all um, sort of being managed well. So that was a really, really anxiety provoking situation for them, I think, and the ward is, is, was locked down, so it's basically locked down to the rest of the building. So we're in, we're in a COVID safe environment, but all the nurses are locked down to everyone else, so it makes them feel really isolated and really separate from everybody else. And also they're having to wear um, PPE and that's the same as of all the healthcare professionals. So at the beginning when if you have a patient with COVID you have to wear the full kit with the the visors and you know the whole lot but for every single patient and this is still the case you have to wear some form of PPE face mask and gloves and apron because everybody is a suspected COVID case you can't say because you don't know about the testing whether they're you know positive or not. So the people nurses and carers and doctors are wearing PPE for the whole of the day and that's sometimes 12 hours a day which is really really wearing for people and there's no end to that at the moment because until we get a vaccine there's no end to people having to wear pp all the time and um, the other thing that's really difficult for um, healthcare professionals and definitely from the hospice we got this is actually having to restrict visitors because as we know when someone's dying you want your family around you and people around you and we were having to restrict visitors and we still are restricting visitors um, I think it was to one hour twice a day and that was so difficult for the nurses because as palliative care nurses we're used to hugging and touching and having the family all around us and it's all about that eye contact and face you know facial expression and um, uh, the nurses and the carers have found that really really difficult most difficult thing I think of having to restrict visitors we can be quite flexible with it if somebody's um, actually dying but we've had to restrict it overall and that's been the same with care homes as well that's been a really difficult thing for them to do. Um, So from the care homes, we've supported an awful lot of care homes. So what happened in my role, I thought I'd be seconded to clinical, I thought education wouldn't particularly happen, but we were commissioned to do a lot of work just getting out all the COVID guidance because the guidance was changing from minute to minute. So we had a lot of work actually doing via Zoom, doing a lot of education via Zoom to get um, all the community staff and care home staff up to date with COVID guidance. And what happened with that, although it was very important that they knew the guidance, Another thing that really came out of that is that they felt really abandoned and alone. So certainly the care homes and the community sector just felt there was nobody out there. The GPs weren't visiting at that time. Us, us the district nurses weren't visiting. There was a lot going on where they really, really felt abandoned. So a lot of our work was about supporting them. We were the only people they saw in that time. Actually, a face, even a face on the screen was some sort of, sort of support. So that became a, a big thing of what we did. And also there were some staff that were... We had two nurses from the district that were relocated. The NHS staff could just be deployed anywhere and one was a sexual health nurse and one was a diabetic nurse who was seconded to give end-of-life care having no experience of end-of-life care and they looked absolutely terrified. <laughs> so a lot of our role was actually supporting people through that, um, that difficult time really. And another, another, so you've got the care and the community staff who felt really abandoned and alone and they actually got a bit of attention from the government at, at, a bit later on but they actually got some attention the people that never really got mentioned was the carers that go into people's homes you know it's very they're very sort of bit the poor relation really and very under the radar but they definitely need support as well because they're going into again being exposed to covid potentially wearing ppe but they're also dealing with people that are quite often really alone and isolated and picking up all the emotions of that and quite often acting as the, the conduit for communication with the family. And so they really picked up on a lot of the emotions of people that were alone and at home. And I felt very isolated. And another thing that's been very difficult for people is having really, really difficult conversations about end of life. But having to do that, rather than doing it face-to-face, doing the over Zoom or doing it with a telephone call, that's been really, really difficult for people. And even if they are face-to-face, they're doing it wearing a face mask. And that just goes against everything that we would normally um normally want to do really i think what we found again and it's you know we all know this in a way that healthcare staff have just gone above and beyond what they needed to do and to be fair there's been a lot of um, support for each other a lot of camaraderie in that situation a lot of love felt for each other and one one staff i can think of was a male nurse in a care home and he just had his wife who just had a baby and he decided to move into the care home this is right in the covid crisis they left his wife and baby and moved into the care home for two months look after his residents and if that doesn't show dedication I don't know what what does really and I think through all this I've there's this lovely picture here this was taken this picture is a picture of the hospice and it was taken after one of our night nurses has come out of a 12 hour quite a difficult 12 hour shift and it's just this beautiful rainbow over the hospice and that to me is just so just touched me so much of the fact that God has been protecting us all through this he's definitely been you know, just, just being our protection and our sort of shield over through all this. And I've definitely felt that myself. Um, and I keep coming back to this Bible passage. It's Psalm 91, verses one to four. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And I think that's definitely how I felt. And I think it's how a lot of, there are a lot of Christians in care home and in um, definitely in hospice work and in care home work as well. There's a lot of Christians. and I think everybody has felt that real protection from God. So i just ask you today to pray for all the healthcare workers, especially as we prepare for the second wave. I think people are more aware of what's going to happen. So we feel people feel more prepared because we sort of know what's coming really. But just to pray, pray for continuing energy, relief from anxiety, and just the awareness of God's protection over them in their lives and works, and especially thinking of um of Charlotte, who's going to be going work to work on a COVID ward next week, um, and all the people that are being you know exposed to COVID, just for the protection over them. Thank you. Thank you
0: very much, Carol, for that that insight into. Uh what it's been like for you in, in this time. I have um, I've contacted several people who are um, involved in the healthcare sector, asking what they would like prayer for. And several words ke- came up time after time after time. One was strength, um, protection, um, energy, resilience, um, the, these things came up almost every time, and uh, they're obviously very important. Um, the other things that people um, have asked for for prayer, for it's the the health of the the clients, perhaps in the that uh, you know people whose homes they're going into. Um, the fact that people are exhausted um, in the care sector, going into people's homes. Um, I understand that uh, you know. In certain areas, there's been not only a shortage of carers, but an increase in the number of clients requiring care. And that, of course, puts pressure on on everybody. Um, Hospitals and um, surgeries are becoming busier now that uh, procedures have been restarted that had been put on hold earlier on in the year. Um, There is an increase in workload, extra cleaning to be done between uh, between, um, patients. Um, all of these things, um, and so I'm, I'm going to lead us in in a prayer for those involved in in healthcare. Father God, we thank you for all those who are involved in caring for for one another in the healthcare system, whether that be in GPs, in in surgeries, in hospitals, in care homes, in people's homes. Um, we think too of um, dentists and uh, optometrists and uh, anybody who's involved in, in looking after the health. And of course, we don't want to forget the, the mental health, too, of, of patients. We thank you for every single person who's working in those areas. We thank you for those who have done so sacrificially, um, uh, just out of a, a desire to, to serve and uh to fulfill the calling that that they have to to care for people. And Lord, we do ask for for strength, for energy, for resilience. It's been going on for such a long time and we know that there's uh, an increase in cases, Lord. And I'm sure people are looking at that with, with trepidation. Lord, would you be with them? Would you give them that strength, that resilience, that energy that they need? And, Lord, we do pray um, for protection for them. Protection from from this virus, Lord, but also protection from anything that might attack their health, um, whether it be physical or or mental. We thank you for those who are Christians in these situations, and we pray that uh, they will be able to to demonstrate your love on, on their front line. It's, it's so difficult. And, Lord, we do ask that the, the increase in, in cases would, would slow down, Lord. We ask that you would control this virus because we know that you can. And we ask, Lord, we humbly ask that you would do that, that you would control it, even end it, Lord, and again, we, we do thank you for everyone involved in healthcare. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. And I know I didn't cover every single prayer aspect. There may be things that occur to you in your own, own prayer time. Um, I knew we would be praying for healthcare workers uh, today. I didn't expect to actually be in the healthcare system yesterday. Um, but having sat there for, I don't know, nearly five hours with a, a face mask on, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to wear that for 12 hours that's, uh, to go. It's, um, it's not very pleasant. Necessary, but, but uh, not very pleasant. Um, we're now going to, to move on to a time of, of communion. Um, and so I'll hand over to Martin in the church.
1: Morning, and uh, I hope um, that you have uh, got your bread and juice uh, ready to go. I'm going to read um, some words uh, from 1 John chapter 2. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And John also writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so as we come to share bread and wine, let us have a have a moment of, uh, of prayer and confession. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we thank you that you are the atoning sacrifice for our sin, that through your body being sacrificed on the cross that you paid the debt of our sin which is death so that through faith in you we might have forgiveness with that we might be forgiven and thank you that your blood purifies us from all our sin and unrighteousness and so father we we come as we are as sinners in need of your grace and mercy and forgiveness Father God, we confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. We confess that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And so we appeal to the blood of Jesus, to his atoning sacrifice, and we ask, Father, that because of Jesus, please forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we eat this bread, which reminds us of the body of Christ sacrificed, that we might be made whole. And as we drink this wine that reminds us of the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins, we ask, Lord, that you would feed us with living bread. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would feed us this morning. Strengthen us. Reassure us of your presence. Encourage us. Reassure us that we are forgiven. We are adopted children of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as we we take the bread, we remember that Jesus took bread, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take and eat, giving thanks for the body of Christ, wounded and broken for us, We remember the cup which Jesus took. And Jesus said, drink this in remembrance that my blood was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so we do so with thanksgiving. An opportunity now for those who would like to to pray for the fellowship um, from whichever church you're from you might like to just uh, lift before God those who need uh, a touch of, of Christ's healing grace mercy and help at this time so please uh, do unmute yourselves and uh, lead us in prayer at this time
3: Father, we, uh, we remember Jenny and
0: Bill this morning and, of course, the wider family. We, we uphold them to you, Father, and pray for your love and your peace and your comfort to surround them, Lord. Not just today, but in all the arrangements that uh, have to be made further on down the line. Lord, we just lift this lovely family to you. Stretch out that wonderful hand of love, comfort and peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray for Annie and George in Whitstable that you will walk beside them and that you will be their comfort and their strength through the various illnesses that they are facing. Pray for swift diagnosis for Annie too. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord we just pray for Valerie and Bernard at Whitstable. We pray Lord that you will be with them both as Bernard has been diagnosed with lung cancer and been referred to the hospital service. Lord let them know that we are thinking of praying for them. Amen.
3: Lord, we thank you that you are a God of answered prayer. You are a healing God. So we thank
1: you now for uh, the healing that you brought to Sam. And we ask that that would be continued. We thank you that when Ella had her symptoms, that test came back uh, negative. So uh, Martin and the family could continue to serve you as normal. Um, And we just lift up all of those others who are ill at the moment, who are in sickness, that you would heal them also. Because
3: we know you are a loving and a healing God that answers prayer. And we thank you for that. Amen. Amen. Thank you,
1: Lord. So, Father, as we uh, come around your word now and hear it read, we ask that you would speak to us even now as we, as we hear your word being read. Lord, just prepare our hearts uh, for the message that uh, you want to bring to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We're continuing today in our, uh, our series in 1 John. And the reading this morning is 1 John 2, verses 1 to 14. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him i write to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name i write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one.
1: Thank you, Alison. In these uh, uncertain, anxious and insecure times of the COVID pandemic, the letter of one John is such a huge encouragement to us because it assures us that we can know God intimately and personally, and we can know that we have eternal life. How can we be sure, though, that we know God and that we have eternal life? It's more than just believing in our heads the truth of Jesus. Believing the truth also has to be lived out, embodied at a relational level. And as we walk in obedience to God and his commands, so God gives us a greater level of assurance that we know him and have eternal life. This is because obedience enables us to to continue to enjoy walking in the light of God's fellowship. We can't have any assurance of eternal life if we deliberately continue to sin and disobey God's commands. That's to walk in darkness. And John outlines three areas where we can walk in God's light so that we can continue to have the knowledge and assurance that we know God and have eternal life. So first of all, Our assurance of knowing God comes from Jesus, our advocate. Um, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So John wants us as Christians to walk in obedience to Christ, to walk in the light and not to sin. If we walk in obedience to Christ, we will enjoy the light of God's fellowship and presence, And we will have a continuing assurance of eternal life. But John is a realist. He knows that even the most mature, faithful, committed Christians will still sometimes fall into sin. And so he writes to reassure us that in this situation, we can still have confidence in fellowship with God, despite our sin, because Christ is our advocate. Um, the word for advocate is paraclete, and it means one who comes alongside and pleads in our defense. It's a bit like a, a defense lawyer in, in a court of law pleading our innocence. So Jesus is like our defense law lawyer pleading our innocence before the Father. Um, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is not just our defense lawyer, our advocate as it were, he's also the one who pays for our sin through an atoning sacrifice. Um, in John's gospel, the background is the book of Exodus, the Passover lamb. John the Baptist says of Jesus in John 1:29, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you remember back when we were going through Exodus? the Israelites were instructed by God to paint their door frames and lintels with the blood of a, of, a, of a lamb that they had sacrificed. And when the angel of death passed over the Israelite homes, he saw the blood and passed over in judgment. In other words, he didn't pour out the, the wrath of God's judgment of death on the Israelite families because of the blood painted on the door frames. And in the same way, Jesus is the perfect once and for all, sacrificial lamb who directs God's judgment, God's wrath, away from our sin. But he doesn't just direct God's wrath away from our sin, he takes away our sin because he himself is the sacrificial lamb who dies in our place as our atoning sacrifice. Now, talk of God's righteous judgment and wrath on human sin is not a popular idea today. Um, God's wrath conjures up all sorts of ideas of capricious gods with irascible anger. And in past times, for example, thousands of innocent children were sacrificed to appease the Hindu goddess Ganga by throwing them into the Ganges River in India. But this is simply not the way that God's wrath works in scripture. God is not a capricious God whose irrational hostility requires a kind of sacrifice to appease him. God's wrath, according to John Stott, is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. In other words, God, it's not a kind of road rage, irrational anger. It is God's steady opposition to evil because he's a God who's holy and pure. He opposes evil. But still, some people would object at this point and say, I can't believe in a God who is both loving and angry. Surely it's God's role to forgive sin. But this assumes, of course, that love and anger are opposites. We know from experience that love and anger are not opposites. Um, if, If a loving parent sees their child go off the rails and make a mess of their life, indifference in that situation to the child would be the opposite of of love. It would be natural as a parent to be angry because of our love for our child. We would want to correct them and instruct them. There would be a sense of injustice, of righteous anger, if a child made a mess of their life. And in the same way, when we as human beings rebel against God's loving rule for us, against his care for us, God is not indifferent towards us. Out of his love, he seeks to restore us. But the amazing truth of the the gospel is that God chooses to pay for our sin and to direct his wrath away from us by allowing his own son, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross It is Christ who becomes the sacrificial lamb, who directs away God's own wrath from our sin. But not only directs it away, he takes it away by offering his own body as a sacrifice. So this is how much God loves us and wants to restore us. He doesn't hold back the greatest thing, but he gives us the gift of his son. That's how much he loves us. And he wants us to have total confidence in Jesus, our advocate, that Jesus is uniquely qualified as fully God and fully man to bring us to God, to plead our cause as our advocate, but not only to plead our cause, to take away our sin. But of course, because God is just, there is a debt to be paid. Um, Now, if someone through reckless drive, driving, smashes into your car and uh, damages your car, you would expect some sort of justice. You would expect their insurance to pay up for, for, for the repair of your car. And in the same way, our sin causes a debt. There is a debt of justice that has to be paid. And Jesus paid the debt of our sin when he died the death that we deserve on the cross. The, the cost of justice was borne by God's own son, Jesus. And so as we confess our sins to him, he is just and faithful and promises to forgive us our sin so that we can carry on enjoying relationship and fellowship with God. So second, our assurance of knowing God comes through obedience. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Now, obedience to God is not a condition for knowing God. We are not brought into fellowship with God through good behavior and good works. Rather, our fellowship with God through Christ is expressed in our obedience um, so that we show our love for God by keeping his commands. But we have already received his love in Jesus Christ. And it is out of God's love for us that we're able to obey him. Now, keeping God's commandments does not mean sinlessness. No one is sinless this side of eternity. But keeping God's commands is rather a long-term intention and determination to be faithful in seeking to walk in obedience. And if someone truly knows Jesus, you will be able to see evidence of obedience in their life. On the other hand, John says in uh, verse 4, Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. In other words, true believers won't just talk the talk, they will walk the walk. It's not enough just to say that I believe in Jesus and yet live in the darkness. We have to live out um, the truth of living in the light. We have to obey, in other words. But what commands is John calling us to obey? Well, he defines them for us in 1 John 3, 23 which says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So loving God and loving others go together. You can't love God without loving others. Um, And John defines what that love looks like in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Um, in other words the type of love that we need to have for one another in the church is sacrificial it's costly Um, you will know this um, you know visiting someone picking up the phone uh, cooking something for someone showing someone love requires time and effort it's a sacrifice for us but especially in these days of covid this kind of loving sacrifice and cost and commitment is something that we should be really excelling in as the church of Christ at this time. We need to, we need to go the extra mile for one another because Christ went the extra mile for us. Um, and our obedience to these commands um, completes God's love in us, verse 5a. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Um, In other words, God's love is brought to maturity and completeness in us as we love others. Um, We can't say, I love God, I've got an amazing relationship with God, if it's a purely private affair. Um, The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity of the Godhead, love one another deeply, but they didn't keep that love to themselves. That love overflowed in the gift of Jesus Christ, the light coming into the darkness of our world. Um, Think of the illustration that Jesus uses of the vine and the branches. Jesus is the true vine, and we are the branches. And to stay connected to Jesus, the true vine, we need to remain in him if we're to bear the fruit of love. But how do we remain connected to Jesus, the true vine? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15:10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, And remain in his love. In other words, we stay in the vine, we stay connected to the source of God's love as we love others. John says it in a slightly different way in verses five and six. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And thirdly and lastly, our assurance of knowing God comes from loving other people, especially Christians. Um, In one way, the command to love God and others is nothing new. It was part of the old covenant to love your neighbor. But John writes this in verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Um, But, John says, although there's nothing new about this command to love one another, in a sense, there is something new because Jesus, the light of the world, has transformed this command. So he writes in verse 8. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world and the darkness has not extinguished his light and never will do. And because Jesus, the light of the world, has overcome the darkness, those of us who are Christians are in the light and the darkness is passing in us. We are overcoming the darkness of our sin. And so Jesus expects more of us, his followers. We are no longer in the realm of darkness. We have been liberated to live in the realm of love and light. And so if we want to be sure that we belong to God and know him intimately, we, we know him by loving one another. The more we love one another, the more close we will feel to God. Our love for others will assure us that we're walking in the light of fellowship with God. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Um, so John introduces the metaphor of light and dark. Light is a synonym for love, and darkness is a synonym for hate. And those who are in the light, who are fellowship with God, will love their brothers and sisters. We cannot claim to have the light of God's presence, but hate other people. Verse 11, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Um, if you've ever been in total darkness, you know how easy it is to stumble. Um, I once, a few years ago, I went to Kenya uh, with George and we were in a missionary's house. And uh, if you've ever been in deepest, darkest Africa, where there are no streetlights and there are no... Um, that The sky is really, really black and you can see the stars. If you ever wake up in a strange house and the light switch is not accessible, there were no bedside lamps, by the way, and I couldn't find my mobile phone with a torch on it, I was literally stumbling around in the dark trying to find the light switch. I just had no idea where I was in this strange house. It is unnerving and uh, you get a great sense of anxiety, don't you? Because you're stumbling around in the darkness. And John says it's similar If we don't love other people, we will end up stumbling around in the darkness. We will have insecurity, anxiety. We will be separated from that assurance of knowing God. The language of hate does sound a bit extreme to us, doesn't it? Um, You know, I I think from time to time, we may have fallen out with Christians, but I I think we wouldn't ever want to say that we hate other people, at least I, I hope we would never say that. But remember the context that John was writing into, False teachers had caused a church split in the churches that he was writing to. Um, Motions would have been running high because people had left the church and given up their faith, or at least the orthodox faith that John taught, and they, they just moved away. And there, there would have been all sorts of acro- acrimonious um, arguments over theology from these false teachers. We, we don't know how, exactly how acrimonious it would have got before people left. But John's language tells us it got pretty bad. Um, Hate kind of wishes bad on somebody else, doesn't it? Um, If hate is committed to anything, it's the destruction of somebody else. Um, It's so sad, isn't it, to hear family members or friends say of one another, they are dead to me. What a sad statement that is. But some in the churches here were saying, that person has hurt me so much, they are, as it were, dead to me. I hope none of us ever gets to that uh, stage with, with people. So while we may not reach these extremes with other Christians of a settled position of hate, surely this language causes us to examine our motives, doesn't it? Are we walking in light with people or are there hints of darkness in our relationships with others? Um, you you know, in a family, when when things go wrong in a family, in a biological family, they really go wrong, don't they? The fallout is huge. It's because we, our siblings and our parents and our children are like extensions of ourselves. And so when we fall out, we tend to fall out with, there's lots of emotion involved, isn't there? And it's not dissimilar in the church. We are called brothers and sisters because we are in the family of God. He is our father, we are his adopted children. And so when we hurt one another in the church, when we fall out, there is an awful lot of emotion involved due to the strong bonds that exist between us. But Jesus shows us the way forward here. Even when we were still enemies, Jesus died for us. And he cried out from the cross, father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Because we have been forgiven. Because we were once enemies of Christ and he's brought us close through his sacrificial love and forgiveness on the cross, we cannot afford not to forgive those who hurt us. The love that we have as brothers and sisters in the church is modelled on the sacrificial, costly love of Jesus on the cross for each one of us. Sacrificial love bears the cost of any hurt and offence against us and chooses to forgive, however painful and costly it is. Now, as we're coming into land here, John recognizes that what he's written is really hard. You know, this stark language of hate and love and dark and light is really hard because there's no twilight zones that we can hide in. We can't sit on the fence as Christians. We're either loving and living in the light, or we're moving towards darkness and hate that we can't, we have to choose. We have to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. John knows this is hard, and he wants to reassure his readers and us that they're already walking in the light, and he wants them to keep doing that. So the language becomes very paternal and loving at this stage. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And he goes on... Um, to say, I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Um, I write to you dear children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers, because you know who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Uh, The dear children, John refers to, is the whole church. Throughout the letter, he addresses the church as dear children. So that's everyone, young and old, male and female, slave and free. They're all um, children of God. The fathers refers to the elders or the spiritual fathers of the church, the leaders. The young men refers to those who are maturing in the faith and will one day be elders and spiritual fathers. So in other words, John is encompassing the whole spiritual journey of the church from babies to right up to the spiritual fathers. And he's saying, look, guys, be encouraged, be assured that God is with you. And he assures them that they all have forgiveness of sins through Christ, who is their atonement, an advocate. He writes to assure them that they all know that the eternal father is from the beginning. He writes to assure them that they've all overcome Satan, the evil one, through Christ and his light. He writes to reassure them that the word of God lives powerfully in them. We can take away this morning, and John would want us to take away this morning, this same assurance. Christ has paid for our sins as our advocate. He is the perfect, once and for all, complete atoning sacrifice, so that we can confidently confess our sins and receive forgiveness and live in the light. We can love God and love one another confidently, knowing that God's love has already been poured out on us through us being united connected to Jesus, the true vine. We can overcome the evil one because Christ has already overcome him through his cross and resurrection. We can be strong through the word of God that lives in us as we read scripture and pray through it. We could, we should continue to confidently walk the walk of obedience. And as we walk the walk, as well as talk the talk, we will know and enjoy the light of our fellowship with God and our church family. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have given us the means to have confidence and assurance of your light and presence and fellowship. So help us to cling to Jesus, our advocate and our atoning sacrifice. Every day, help us to confess our sins and receive that assurance of forgiveness. Help us to let your word dwell in us powerfully and richly each day as we study your word and pray. Help us to remember that we've overcome the evil one through Christ's resurrection and that we are united to him and we share in his victory. Help us to confidently, through your spirit, walk the walk as well as talk the talk. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank
0: you, Martin. Well, I'm sure there are several um, songs that would have been appropriate to close with but this is the one that leapt out at me um proclaiming that yes we have an advocate uh who is the lamb of god who has paid the price uh, to bring us forgiveness before the throne of god above i have a strong and perfect plea.
2: The throne of God above, I have a strong, perfect King, the great high priest whose name is
0: Thank you. we thank you for the truths that we've heard this morning the truths that we've sung this morning that you are our advocate you plead for us before the throne of God and we thank you that because of you we can stand before God in righteousness not ours but yours Lord Jesus help us never to take that lightly and in the words of Jude verse 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages,
3: now and forevermore. Amen.